Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Bye, guys. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Today I want to start with a question that I think is particularly important um, to the moment that we find ourselves captive to. And the question is, how has this pandemic changed or redefined your life, both in big and small ways? For me, a small way is the way I use toilet paper. I use it much more sparingly. I even had a talk with our kids and gave them a lecture on more efficient TP use and even had a family meeting about using TP much more sparingly because we couldn't find one. Uh, we, we knew we were running out and we couldn't find any in stores. It was all sold out. Um, and I remember finding myself in big ways doing things I never thought I would do. I said I wouldn't do. And that's, uh, I remember going to a Dunkin' Donuts uh, like three, four weeks ago when things were still, uh, the city was still not closed. And I remember getting French vanilla coffee for my wife because she loves it to have that in the morning sometimes. And um, I remember I saw a bunch of napkins. The store was pretty empty. So I jacked a lot of napkins to put in my pocket and completely forgot about it until we ran out of toilet paper was running out of paper towels and I found them in my pocket. And I remember I found them in my pocket and, and it transported me back almost nostalgically um, to that moment when the, this thing my parents would do 
And I thought it was so strange. My parents would collect these napkins um, from, you know, all the fast food restaurants, Burger King, Dunkin', um, McDonald's. <clears throat> and I remember telling them, you guys are so strange in such, um, in such ample times. Why, why do you do that? And, and both my parents would lecture me and say, you would only understand if you've been through the Korean War when we ran out of everything, food and basic necessities. If you've been through that war, you'll understand why we, we try to hoard or save up and et cetera. And I think in similar ways, um, at this particular cultural moment, I'm beginning to understand my parents a lot better. Tumultuous moments, crisis, calamity, in many ways redefines the way you live. And I wonder, at this particular moment, 20, 30 years from now, when I have grandkids, and you have grandkids, and children of your own, if we'll do strange things, that generation will think of as odd because we'll hold them, we'll hug them and hold on to them for two, three minutes at a time. And they'll just go, man, you're, you're, you're so mushy, grandpa. You're so mushy, nana or grandma. And we'll say what my parents said to me. You would only understand if you were there and experienced the 2020 epi epidemic, pandemic of this novel virus, of how we had to quarantine ourselves for months at a time, weeks at a time. And we couldn't go out enjoy the relationships, how significant they are and how we miss that. And so I think this is an opportunity then, both in big and small ways, how this pandemic, which has brought the planet to its knees, a moment to reflect about how we wanna live our lives. And I think it could redefine our lives in good ways. And I think that's what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on how we can move from fear to love. How we could love people in front of us better, the people that we're living with, our spouses, our families, our children, everyone, and also our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? How can we begin to use what seems like a curse and begin to navigate it as a blessing and let it really change this calamity, change our trajectory. So let's turn to our passage today and learn how to move, how to take calamity and use it to change our trajectory as people that can grow in capacity to love deeper, to be kinder, and to be more present, not just with our loved ones, but as global citizens of the world. So let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and unpack that lesson today. Let's turn there now. So the question we asked in the beginning was how we can take calamity, something disastrous, something that seems like a curse, and use it as fuel to change our future trajectory. 
because we were living one way until the pandemic has brought everything to a standstill. Our city, the planet, travel, and all that. In, in, in a parallel, that's what a parable does. A parable shows us through the grace, um, our trajectory, our future, and what's in our hearts and exposes those things and confronts those things. So today, what I wanna do is use the passage as a mirror to show us how we've been living and how we can be set free from that and live a completely different way and change our lives for the better and the world. So what's the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan? The point is fear brings out the worst of us. You see, I think it's very critical to not only define fear. Last week we talked about in uh, Jesus coming the storm that you have to know what your fear is because fear is an emotion. Fear is existential and we catastrophize a lot. But I think we also need to understand the nature of fear. Fear in many ways is hyperbolic, but it makes us do things that we don't necessarily are proud of or want to do, but it takes over us and it begins to invade. But I want you to catch this very carefully as I read this passage. So in verse 30, it says, and Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem, um, Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. So clearly here, you have two clergy, people that should exemplify and magnify magnanimity or generosity of heart, um, abdicate their responsibility. Why? Well, they were afraid. And if you know historically, the road in Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho, was a very rough place. Uh, it was a, a major route to commerce, but it was a very dangerous place where people were robbed. And people knew that. It had a very poor reputation and people would try to bypass it. So were the clergymen evil? No. Fear doesn't empty you of love. It actually makes you bury it. What is the point of the parable? Fear brings out the worst of us, but not necessarily all of us. One of the cognitive distortions we focused on a few years ago was black and white thinking. Sometimes our fears um, are accusatory. And sometimes our fears makes us accuse others of the most awful things that are not true. When you look at the passage carefully, you look at verse 30 and 32, when the man was beaten, robbed, naked, left on Jericho's road, both the priest and the Levite, both men that were supposed to exemplify and demonstrate magnanimity of heart um, showed fear. Yeah, 
The point is, fear brings out the worst of us. But were they evil because they were afraid? Are people that are afraid of the novel virus wearing masks or thinking only of their family evil or can't think of anyone else at this moment evil or morally corrupt? It's not their best moment. And many of us, and I share this, you know, my stories at Target and being short at home, uh, being a bit antsy and annoyed. I've lost my cool, felt trapped sometimes, and wasn't as kind as I should be, or more generous to my neighbors than I should be. And we talked about during Lent that we've all failed during this season. But that's the nature of fear, you see. Fear brings out the worst of us. Have we not seen this? I know a lot of Asian Americans in our country and Asians all over the diaspora are quite hurt and upset by the, the xenophobic attitude of uh, people in the States and around the world. And um, they're gr grappling with this form of racism and focusing on all this. But, you know, I just want to speak to this. Um, it's not just in New York or other parts of the world this is happening. Um, racism has different forms. If you go to Seoul, I read this in a newspaper and heard it from many other people. Seoul is one of the countries now that um, have successfully did massive testing with drive-through and massive technology. And 100 countries are learning from Seoul, how to do this thing to flatten the curve, because they have, without closing the city. But if you look very carefully, a lot of restaurants in Seoul blame this virus on not only China, but Chinese descent. Some restaurants have um, signs that say, no Chinese allowed. So folks, <laughs> We're all Asian in Korea, Chinese. We're all basically neighbors. So if we think that this is about color, that this is about racism, and that this is always about racism, that's not necessarily true. You see, fear has a way of being accusatory, and it brings out the worst of us. Right? Look at that. Uh, so it's really not about race and it's not about fighting racism. Fear does not care, just like the virus, what your color is, what your income status is. It leaves you for dead, like on the Jericho Road, the Levite and the priest, because it's all about self-preservation. Fear brings out the worst of us, literally. At the root of it is not really about a particular reason or rationale. It's really purely about the most anti-altruistic reality that's preserving self-interest. And if that overtakes our heart, it makes us think and do things that we won't be proud of. So it's not really a technical problem, is it? It's adaptive. 
So, so let's not focus on racism or xenophobia. Let's focus on what fear does to humanity. And it makes us do awful things. Not, not particularly. That's just a, not the root. Racism is not the root. It's just the manifestation of the beast. It brings out and hurts the other. So how do we focus on the root then? Right? You look at our current administration, um, the president calling a Chinese virus. Yes, it was originated from China. <laughs> but the virus has no boundaries. So what do we need to do at this moment? Rather than pointing fingers about people's fears and how this is not right and what people should do and what people shouldn't do, and how we should be more progressive by now. How this is archaic things. I think what we need to do is look at the nature of fear and the root of fear itself. And at the root of fear itself, really is self-interest. And, and what is self-interest showing us then, right? When we call it a Chinese virus, when, when South Korea and Seoul, who's flattened the curve, write signs, no Chinese allowed. Or I know uh, people who heard about Seoul where the virus spread rapidly because of the Korean church, the cult that um, and Chinese family saying, hey, don't go to this church. So it's, it's everyone. And, and fear, what does fear do? Fear just makes panic and blame. So then how do you get to the root? Well, rather than getting distracted by news cycles and technical headlines, focus on what fear really is. Focus on that, what fear does. Focus on the adaptive part of what fear actually, what fear is. And what is fear? Much like the virus, it's a parasite. It's not, and it's going viral. Fear is not who we are. It's a foreign entity that enters and makes us become the worst of who we are. Look at the president currently. Look at the current administration. He calls it a Chinese virus, and people are paying attention by the technical problem that, that he's stirring racism, yes, which is bad, and xenophobia, which is troubling. But you see, the reason why he's shifting blame to China is because he is himself is occupied by fear that people will blame him, which is pretty evident of his poor leadership and how he didn't believe in the imminent threat that COVID-19 presented to our country. See, so all we're doing, the nature of fear it does, is just it, the nature of the beast is it makes us blame others and not take responsibility of our own fear. Like I said, it, the nature of the beast, it doesn't care or doesn't need a rationale. So what do we need to do? That was the first lesson, right? How do we take this seemingly curse and, and tumultuous moment and, and this calamity to change our own trajectory? Rather than shifting blame and saying this and that about that leader or this person or these people or these groups, let's use this pandemic as a microcosm, as a mirror to see the worst part of us, the parts where we fall short. 
see ourselves in the text, how we have fallen short of generosity, how, how we have only cared about our own survival and self-interest. And what does it show us? What is it proving that, that about self-interest? And this is the whole idea of Stephen Covey's idea of the seven habits of highly effective people or highly effective governments or companies. The truth is we're all interconnected. Self-interest in the long run hurts everyone. Because if we all do that, what do we do? Keep blaming and not take responsibility. We create a world that's much poorer and much more, like right now, dangerous. So what a moment for all of us to look in the mirror and to become the change uh, we want to see in the world, as Gandhi once said. So it's a moment for reflectionism. Fear brings out the worst of us. And I pray the Holy Spirit during this Lent season, as we move into the Passion Week of, of the death on the cross, that Jesus carries this burden and he doesn't blame sin on others. He carries the cross for us and he demonstrates how you break fear is through love. And you see, that's why I said in the beginning that, that fear does bring out the worst of us, but it doesn't show all of us. Those men, the Levite and the priest that went home, they didn't talk about it. They were ashamed of what they did. They knew what they should have done, but they failed, just like many of us failed. But it doesn't rob us of the potential and the grace of this passage. And what is the grace of this passage? We can take this crisis, this calamity, and change our trajectory. We can go to God right now, identify the nature of the beast, not give in to fear, submit it to him, and do some soul work so that we can have the opportunity to show not the worst of ourselves, but the best of ourselves in him. This pandemic can change how we live and how we do relationships again. And that's amazing gift as the world is at a standstill for us to be able to change the way we live tomorrow today it's an amazing gift so although fear brings out the worst of us it does not rob us the potential to overcome fear with love and we can do that starting today and that's what the good samaritan shows us right so let's go down the passage and read about the good samaritan right now so we said uh, from the very beginning that we want to use what, what seems like a curse and, and fuel it and use it as a catalyst to become a blessing, to be blessed, to become a blessing to the world, not only to our families and friends and our community, but as a global citizen. So first we said in order to take this calamity and change, to change our trajectory, we have to know that fear brings the worst of us, but not all of us. Fear doesn't rob us of the potential to change. And that's why parables exist, right? To show us the grace of where we are now so that we can have that, we can fill in that gap of where we need to go. And at this moment, as we read in verse 33, Let's see how love can bring out the best of us. So 
How do we fill in that gap? Where do we need to go? Well, we said that if you first, if you want to take this calamity and to change your trajectory, we said first, know that that fear brings out the worst of us, but not all of us. Then second, what we need to know is that love does bring out the best in us, but it will require all of us. A lot of people think that love is a feeling, but this is where love and fear are different. Love is not a feeling. It seems counterintuitive, I know, but it's true. Love actually is the opposite of a feeling. Love is a action. And that's why love cannot be um, spoken as something I feel. Because love, if you look at the biblical narrative in the, all of the 66 books, it really is boiled down. After the sentimentality, um, the sentiment, you get a commitment. Nothing more, nothing less. And if you look at the passage very clearly, it proves that. Uh, it says in verse 33, let's go there. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And I think we have to stop there uh, because it seems like in the English, we think that the Good Samaritan's altruism is actually rooted in some type of pity or sorrow or even sympathy. But we know that historically, Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. Um, so when we look at it through a historical lens, that's not true. But what is true about the text is that when you to actually take the Greek word pity, it actually doesn't mean um, sympathy or sorrow at all. Um, it actually suggests a more violent picture. The actual translation of pity would be more related to turning one's stomach. Um, if you want to really get nuanced, uh, the actual Greek word speaks of the bowels being violently shaken. So if you think that this was um, a man's altruism rooted in some type of compassion or um, some type of sympathy, it would be very incorrect to read in the text. It actually was counterintuitive for the man to do something for someone he supposedly probably did hate hypothetically in the parable. You see, love brings out the best of us but it will require all of us and the most from us. So the parable is not called a Good Samaritan because this man was a sympathetic man per se or a, 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 a fuzzy warm man inside of his heart, a care bear or soft as some people might say, not at all. You would be reading the text exegetically incorrectly, but it was a violent moving of his stomach turning, yet he chose to love. And you see, this is, I want to split some theological hairs here, maybe even ideological hairs. 
Uh, that's where fear and love are different. See, fear is a feeling we usually catastrophize and give into the worst ideas about people, um, situations, and circumstances. But you see, love is completely opposed to that. Love is not a feeling, right? All throughout Scripture, the narrative, the motif of the agape love of God clearly is a commitment. Love does, right? Love is an action. It's rooted in what you do, not what you think, um, not what you might do. It's what you do. Love does. Love is an action. And when we take the sentimentality out of the nostalgia out of the idea of love, when you strip it down to its bare bones, necessity, the epicenter of what central place what it is. It's a commitment, nothing more, nothing less. So you see the Good Samaritan wasn't good because he had good feelings and he actually probably didn't feel good about it. It was counterintuitive. But you see, he chose to love. That's powerful for the moment at hand. But I've seen this in my own life. I, every time I apologize to my wife and my kids about the smallest mistakes to the biggest, to the largest, there's a violence that takes inside because of pride, or because self-preservation fear, right? The fear to be vulnerable, the fear to be wrong, the fear to be blamed. In, in my own family life, the most powerful moments of vulnerability and beauty in my family and my relationship, both my kids and my wife, have been when the turning of the stomach took, uh, happened and I admitted um, I did something wrong. And I apologized. And I took responsibility. So there will be a turning sometimes of what takes place. Right. You see that in the text, that it turned his stomach. Yeah, so as we close today, let's talk about practical uh, application. Where do we go from here? We, we said from the very beginning that if we want to take this calamity and use it as fuel to change our future trajectory. And I'm not talking in trajectory in terms of fortune or wealth or prosperity of talking about our own personal flourishing as people, deeper people, better people, more loving, kinder people. Richard Foster once said a profound um, statement in the midst of a technological advancing age. Uh, we don't need smarter people. We need deeper people. How do we overcome at this moment, uh, particularly what um, is a good example of this is on the news to show the irrational side of fear and what fear does, uh, xenophobia and racism and such. Andrew Yang um, said that the way to overcome racism in America for Asian Americans and Asians uh, from all parts of the continent is show our Americanness 
you know, I, I, I thought about that. And in here, Andrew actually thinks, and, and I love Andrew Yang. I, I thought he was great for the country. But you see, Andrew actually thinks that this fear, that this, this racism and xenophobic uh, behavior and onslaught is actually logical. It's based on a reason. That's not true. You could never be American enough. This has happened to the Native Americans. It's happened to many other cultures. This is the same um, rooted issue when uh, the current president began to blame Mexico on the border, how uh, Latino Americans coming across the border from Central America, from Mexico, are you know, murderers and rapists. Now, the truth is, it's a sense of identity politics and nationalism that's rooted in fear because the state, the United States, is becoming a non-white majority and people are actually afraid of losing their country. <laughs> and that's irrational because this is not their country. It's our country. We can have unity without uniformity. The diversity is a celebration of what this country is all about. So you can't give into this fear like it's logical. And we could have another reaction. And as we observe the Passion Week, we have to go back to the cross because Jesus, when he went to Gethsemane, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The Roman soldiers and the crowds are mocking him. He knew, but it was rooted in fear. So how are we going to react? Are we going to make a case for advocacy and social justice and say that this is not right? Yeah, we need to speak out. The current administration and um, a lot of others have said troubling things. But is that really the issue at hand? No, that those are just technical things. It's not the root, it's just expression of the root. The root is fear, brings out the worst of us. But not all of us, it's not really all of the person. We can categorize people through identity politics and make them a monster that actually doesn't exist in real life, a dystopian reality that's really in our minds. So what do we need to do? Don't appeal to logic and make the fears logical. No, begin to forgive and begin to see the real adaptive issues here. This is like musical chairs, fear, does not care whose seat you take in musical chairs. You just don't want not to have a seat. So rather than appealing to, as Andrew was talking about, being more American, no, we take a step back and look at what fear does. Look what love does. Let's forgive as we go to the cross. Yeah, it will turn our stomach because we're gonna want some type of justice, right? For the wrongs being done in the midst of the pandemic, the hurtful things being done. And that's where we come back to the cross as we observe Good Friday soon this week, this coming week, right? God's justice and holiness meets on the cross. His mercy and his justice meet so we can forgive. It, it will turn our 
our stomachs and scratch the surface of every part of us. But that's what being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus is about. It's about being invited and doing the work of discipleship, doing the hard work of love and becoming like Jesus. So at this moment, rather than shifting blame, let's take responsibility first for, uh, for our own fears, for how we fall short. And then let's go to the cross together and learn to love like Jesus, to forgive, and to really see what sympathy and love people are showing us the worst side of them, but it's not all of them. And God wants to redeem them. And how can we redeem a world that's broken and, and so misunderstood? And so, and hurting and afraid. Know that love will bring out the best of us, but it will require all of us. I'm ready for that. Are you? Don't you want that? To let this calamity be used to shape your trajectory, to become a deeper person, become like Jesus, who's someone who can represent the Father well. And we could change what, how we're going to live tomorrow, starting from our families, how we love them, our kids, our grandkids, but also our neighbors. Redefining, it's borderless. There can't be any boundary. Special interest doesn't help anyone. When we act out of self-interest, we hurt everyone in the long run. And this virus has shown us that. So let's love each other. Yes, it will be hard and difficult, but that's exactly why we should do it. And that's why it will be worth it. Because when we become the change we want to see in the world, as Gandhi said, we will become the light Jesus asked us to become. So let's go into prayer and invite the Lord to help us do this starting today. Let's pray. So wherever you might be, uh, lift your hands to the Lord, and let's come before the Lord today and have the Spirit of God help us take this calamity to change our trajectory. And I want to give you permission today for those of you that have failed just like me, and many of us fail to be kind failed to be more loving, failed and gave into our fear and our own self-interest. And we took, we shift blame. That's why we need a Savior, right? That's why we need Jesus to not only save us on the cross, but we need Jesus to transform us right now, today, tomorrow, even after this pandemic. So rather than feeling shame today, will you bring your fears to the Lord, dispose it to Him, give it to Him, and surrender it to Him? And it might have brought the worst side of us, but I just want to tell you right now, I want to break that shame. I want to let you know 
but that's not all of you. And at this moment, the Spirit of God is calling for redemption. It's calling us to be filled by Him and to love like Him. Know that love will bring out the best of you, but it will require all of you. So let's lift our hands to the Lord and surrender it and make this our prayer today. So Father, we're going to come before you at this very moment going through so much, so much panic and fear, so much anxiety. For many of us, we've seen our worst side and we've seen the worst side of many people around us our own government in different countries. Lord, we want to pray for unity today. We pray that your love through us would cast out fear. For the word says, perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus, we know we've fallen short. And we want to pray that you would fill us today and give us another opportunity to represent you, Father, to represent your heart, to represent the cross as we move into the passion. I pray, God, that your spirit would empower us and that we can love well and it would bring out the best of us. Though it won't be easy and it'll, it'll cost us Michelle. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a member here at Morning Me Church. If you're a newcomer today visiting us here online, welcome. We're so happy to have you here with us. And we hope that today's service brought you some perspective, some joy, and some hope during this pandemic. Um, you're certainly not alone. And uh, we do have some community news that we wanted to share with you guys. The first is tithes and offering. We encourage all of our members to tithe faithfully. And since we're not able to meet in our usual setting in person, you can do that online via Venmo at Church 180, or you can go to our website, 180church.tv, and find a link to donate through PayPal there. And you can also do it through Zelle Chase Quick Pay. Uh, the email address for that is offering at 180church.tv.
Also, we wanted to remind you guys that we do have the resource of our prayer text hotline at 539-7-PRAYER, or you can email any requests to prayer at 180church.tv. Especially during these really trying times, we encourage you guys to reach out. Um, there are a team of people praying for you and um, covering all of your prayer requests. So please take advantage of this. And also our small groups for now are meeting virtually. Um, if you're not connected with a group, but you'd like to be, you can email Pastor Billy and he'll make sure that you get connected to the right group for you. These are really great uh, smaller pockets of community that we have where now we're meeting through um, video, video uh, chats. <laughs> That's what they call it, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you can just share kind of what's on your heart, talk more about the weekly sermons. Um, and it's just a much needed uh, tool for many of us right now. So make sure you get connected. And we also have a number of ways that we can all stay connected through social media, which is such a big help in these times, right? Um, we have our 180 BRG Tumblr page where we share uh, we, uh, daily chapters of the word and... Um, like there'll be a snippet on Instagram of each chapter that we go through on our Tumblr page. We have our 180 Church Facebook, Dr. Sammy's Twitter. We have our 180 Church NYC YouTube, which is where you're watching us right now. Um, also, you can find older sermons and videos that we've done here on this channel. We have our 180 Church Instagram. And like I messaged, you can uh, mentioned earlier, you can also find our 180 BRG on Instagram. Uh, we have our 180 Church podcast uh, with Dr. Sammy and friends, and you can find that on all podcast outlets. So for Lent this year, to be quite honest, I gave up social media. But given these times, I've made some leniencies because we're all in isolation and it's easy to miss people and feel disconnected. So uh, these are means that I use to stay connected with people and they've really helped in addition to, of course, Zooming or FaceTiming. Um, so we hope that you check us out at these avenues and throughout the week, we hope that these means give you some inspiration and just let you know you're not alone. Um, and even though you can't see people, you can see people virtually, which is a big comfort during these times. And also a special announcement. <laughs> Time sure flew because already this Friday, this coming Friday, it's going to be our Good Friday service. So stay tuned for details on that. And we'll also have our Easter Sunday service the following Sunday after that. Um, so we'll be in touch soon with details about how you can join us for all of those events. And, uh, and we hope you guys are all doing well and we miss you.